uh, that's on page 977 in the Church Bible, page 977. Ephesians chapter 3, and I'm going to read verses 14 to 21. Ephesians chapter 3, reading verses 14 to 21. So, let us hear God's word. Paul writes, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Well, let us pause and ask God to help us this evening. Our Father in heaven, we pray that your name is honored and glorified, that praise is given to you now as we continue to ponder these words. We thank you for the scriptures. We thank you, Lord, that you have preserved them for us, and that tonight, Lord, as we consider them again, Lord, that your Spirit would impress them upon us and minister the, the marrow of your word here tonight. O oh Lord, feed our souls. Be gracious to us tonight, Lord. We ask of you, our God and Savior, through Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, we are concluding our run with Ephesians this evening. We're going to stop here at the end of chapter 3 at the end of the first half of Paul's epistle to the church at Ephesus. Chapter 4, we'll come back to, God willing, later on this year. But chapter 4 will begin to introduce us to the implications, uh, to the application of all the theology that we have been looking at in chapters 1 to 3. You remember I said that verses 14 to 19 of chapter 3 are one long sentence in the Greek. They comprise a prayer that Paul prayed for the believers. It's an apostolic prayer that we too can pray for one another. And we spent last Lord's Day morning and evening looking at it. Paul prayed that we would be strengthened by the Holy Spirit or that Christians in Ephesus would be strengthened by the Holy Spirit that Christ's presence within us would affect us more and more, and that we would be rooted and grounded 
in God's love, that we wouldn't doubt the love of God when things come into our lives, when challenges and trials hit us. We wouldn't be left bobbing around on a rough sea full of doubt and concern, but we would be we would have sure foundations that God does love me, that he still loves me. Paul prayed that we would be strengthened by the Holy Spirit to know more of how much Christ loves us, to realize more and more of the immeasurable dimensions of our Savior's love for his people. So much so that the very fullness of God the very likeness in all its fullness that we see in the Lord Jesus Christ would be seen in us. As we grow older in Christ, we came to faith, we were born as babes, as it were, and we're growing, aren't we? We're, we're, we're getting older. We're going on with the Lord by God's grace and the prayer, the, the expectation of scripture is that as we grow older, we become more like Jesus. Our character changes, our personality changes, and Paul is praying for this, that the fullness of God would be seen in us more and more till the day that we stand in his presence and we see him face to face. But it's these last verses that I would like us to focus on in detail this evening, verses 20 and 21. Here Paul concludes his prayer with a climax, with a doxology of praise. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. It reminds us of the prayer we often refer to as the Lord's Prayer and how each part, each petition uh, takes us through the various things that ought to dominate our prayers as we pray to our Father who art in heaven. But then when you look at how it traditionally ends, it also climaxes traditionally. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Now, now whether those closing words really were included or not, we'll just put that aside and move on as it were but having prayed each petition that the Lord Jesus taught us to pray those closing words as it were they they give us the reason they are the argument for why we can ask our father who art in heaven for those things for yours is the kingdom so you're in charge God you're the king. So who can oppose you when we pray for these things? It's because yours is the kingdom that we can ask you, Father, for our daily bread, for example, for the forgiveness of our sins. 
for our deliverance from evil and so on and so forth. It's, it's because yours is the power and the glory and forever too that we can come with this humble confidence and ask you for these big things. And we know, we can know, that your ability to answer our prayers is always the same because your power and glory is forever and ever. Paul shows us that same principle here in Ephesians 3 in what he has been earnestly praying to the Father for, that having prayed for strengthening and so on. These closing verses, 20 and 21, as it were, they, they give us the reason, they, they give us the argument for why we should pray this apostolic prayer. There are three points I want to highlight this evening. The first one is by far the longest. So, you know, when I get to point two, don't panic. There are three. And the first one is let's look at him who is able. Him who is able. Paul has already told us back in verse 16 that he was praying for God to answer his prayers according to the riches of his glory. In other words, according to his, his glorious unlimited resources. And if you think about it, that in itself is fairly exciting. It's an incentive to pray that out of God's massive divine reservoir of rich resource, God would comparatively strengthen and stabilize and so on and so forth. We, what we looked at last Lord's Day evening but here it seems Paul takes that incentive for prayer even further to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. Just that sentence, those words that he is able, I hope are really reassuring for us this evening. There are words that crop up now and again in Scripture Jude, chapter, uh, Jude verse 24, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. Hebrews 7, 25, he, Jesus, is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. 2 Timothy 1 verse 12, I am not ashamed, Paul writes to Timothy, because I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him for that day. Those are just three of at least nine clear New Testament references to the Lord our God being able to do something for us. He is able to keep us. He is able to save us. He is able to guard us. I mean, aren't these verses such a counsel to us tonight? Aren't they a help for any of us who have thoughts of hopelessness? Thoughts of, well, why bother asking him? If you think of someone you know and You've always been able to go to them to ask for help, but then you hear someone say, oh no, he's not able to anymore. It puts you off 
bothering to go and ask for help. But straight away here, we have this tremendous incentive to pray for one another, to sincerely pray to our Father in heaven who is very capable. Our Father who is able. To Him who is able to do far more abundantly. Now, now this is Paul here playing with his words. Uh, He's constructing this over-the-top description of God's ability. Paul is piling up the Greek on top of each other to, to force his argument. I mean, he could have just said, God who is able to do what we ask. And, and that would be great. I mean, you could go to God then and say, God, you're able to do what we ask, so we're going to ask you for X, Y, Z. He could have even said, God, who is able to do more than we ask. That would be even better. He could have gone a bit further and said, God, who is able to do more than all we ask. Or, God, who is able to do more than all we ask or think. Or even, Paul could have said, God, who is able to do far more than all we ask or think. But no, there's more. We pray to our Father in heaven who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. In other words, immeasurably more, infinitely more than all we ask or even think. This God who who listens to us, This God who through faith in his son Jesus Christ is our father. This God who we pray to earnestly for one another. There are no limits to what he can do. We think of the angel Gabriel and what he said to the Virgin Mary in Luke chapter 1. Or what the Lord Jesus told his disciples in Luke chapter 18. How with God nothing is impossible. All the limits of what God can do lie with us, really, and what we ask for. Because in our minds we have we have set a boundary around God. And we dare not pray for what lies beyond the boundary because we don't believe he can do that. We're not persuaded yet in our faith he can go beyond our comprehension of his greatness. So what a tremendous incentive then for us all this evening to to resolve afresh to a life of of continued earnest prayer, to, to take God at his word here and to ask big things of this big God not sinfully, not to ask him for things as a sort of test. You know, the guy at the front says, this God can do more than what we ask or imagine, so I'm going to see what I can get out of this God. It's it's not for that reason we would ask our Father, but, but asking him so that his answer would bring him all the greater glory. 
if you know the Panama Canal, the uh, straight bit of water that runs between the Atlantic and Pacific Oceans, uh, it's over 50 miles long. Uh, it was opened in 1914 after over 30 years of building this great construction. There was a poem written uh, at the time about human ability, human achievement. It was a poem that had become a song that the workmen sang as they built this canal. And the song had a bit of a tagline to it. It says this, we specialize on the holy impossible, doing things that no one can do. And it became more and more popular. It, it, it became a bit of a slogan for construction workers, you know, the unions and all of that. This was their tagline. We specialize on the holy impossible. At, at the time, there was an American pastor and he didn't like the fact that it said we specialize rather than God specializes. Oscar Eliasson had been recently diagnosed with tuberculosis. And his brother had died from it just a month or two beforehand and things were not looking good for Oscar. Uh, nothing was working, let's just say. And he was becoming more and more depressed from it, more and more discouraged from it. It just seemed a completely hopeless situation. And the church gathered for prayer. They came around him, as it were, and prayed earnestly for him. And he was completely healed of it, completely healed. And he experienced something through the answer to prayer that clearly only God had done. So when Oscar heard of this song being sung and how they, they boasted, we specialize on the holy impossible. Well, he changed a few of the words and he gave the glory to God. He wrote a, a hymn which has the course line, Got any rivers you think are uncrossable? Got any mountains you can't tunnel through? This was the Panama Canal. God specializes in things thought impossible. He does the things others can't do. Friends, this is our God. God is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. He does specialize in things thought impossible. But I wonder, do we really believe that? Do we really believe it enough to then go on and pray prayers to him that convey a belief that, that he is able? Or that convey something of what John Newton writes, you are coming to a king, large petitions with you bring, for his grace and power are such, none can ever ask too much. Maybe we can feel a bit cynical about all of this. Maybe a bit skeptical of this super ability of God that Paul is writing about here. Maybe for someone your response this evening is something like how the Israelites responded when Moses 
came to them and told them that the Lord had sent him to them to, to bring them out of Egypt, to bring them out from under the slavery of Pharaoh and to give them life and to bring them to the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And we read in Exodus 6 verse 9, Moses told the people of Israel what the Lord had said, but they refused to listen anymore. They had become too discouraged by the brutality of their slavery. Maybe for someone here tonight, life is such for you. And you're thinking, I just don't believe it. That this God is that able to answer my prayers. You tell me God is able to do infinitely more than all I ask or even think. He knows what I'm thinking. He knows my dreams of seeing my family healed. He knows my dreams of seeing my children come to faith. He knows that. He knows my longing to see my husband rescued from his illness. So why doesn't he then do it? if he is so abundantly able to do it. Why? I probably won't be able to totally satisfy your doubts this evening, but can I for a while take you to the Garden of Gethsemane? Can I take you to that scene of Jesus so greatly distressed, so greatly troubled over what he knows lies ahead for him when he goes to Calvary's cross. When Jesus there in the garden with sort of fresh revelation realizes the enormity of what lies ahead, when, when he becomes the sin offering, when the lamb without blemish becomes wholly blemished as he bears our sin and faces the awesome wrath of his father. And he wobbles. It's just that in his humanity, there is that, that momentary wobble of our Lord. And Mark records for us what Jesus prayed as he prayed to this God, this God we're talking about, who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Jesus believed his father could rescue him from that situation. Yes, and he believed it far more so than any of us here this evening could believe it. And yet, even in firmly believing what God could do, Jesus also firmly believed that this God who is able might not, in fact, he would not actually do it for some 
better reason for some more important purpose. Lord, nothing is impossible for you. You can do anything, but equally I know that because your ways and your thoughts are so much higher than mine, then whilst I believe you can do anything, help me to remember that you may choose to do nothing except to do as you did with Jesus and strengthen me. Strengthen me to go on with you, to keep trusting you, to keep rejoicing in you, and to keep testifying of you to others that, that though it hurts, you are still good. You are still right. Now, that doesn't stop us from praying with great hope in God. That's what Paul wants us to do. The divine boundary, as it were, of God's sovereign will doesn't contradict anything of what Paul says here in verse 20, but it does help us balance this great incentive for prayer of a God who can do the impossible, who, who does specialize in it, yet even so might not do it the way we would want him to. Secondly then, how is it that he is able to do it, this far more abundant ministry? Well, we're told here he does it according to the power at work within us. The power that Paul is talking about here is the same power he wrote about back in chapter 1, verse 19, what Paul had previously been praying about, that believers would, would realize what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. That same immeasurably great power, as Paul calls it, is at work within every believer. Every one of us here tonight who professes faith in Jesus, God's power is at work within you and within us corporately as a local church. But it's the Holy Spirit who, in converting us, is now sanctifying us. Slowly but surely, God is at work in our lives, making us more and more like Jesus. Now, think about that for a moment. For us to need such immeasurably great power, for us to need the same power that raised Christ from the dead after three days of laying in the grave, that shows us how ruined in sin we are by nature. Think about it. You think it's easy? It's impossible. We need such power for God to transform our lives, for God to reflect His glory in us more and more. It takes this miracle power. It takes this wonder-working power. 
our characters are so ingrained with sin. Our human nature is so blemished from sin. God requires, he uses the same power that was there on Easter Sunday morning. It's here tonight in the lives of those who believe. So it sounds explosive, doesn't it? Like there should be fireworks going off in the room here as, you know, this power comes out of us. It it sounds dramatic. But actually, it's usually very gentle. Usually. It's often very slow, it seems. But it's very thorough. Those of you who have been round to our house, you'll notice as you come into the driveway, there is an oak tree just there in a pot. I planted that oak tree in Wooler and brought it with me. I had a little acorn. I don't know where I got it from. I picked things up. <laughs> I picked up an acorn. I planted it. I've, I've cared for this oak tree. I've repotted it and replanted it. I've looked after it. We once had a rabbit who nearly destroyed it. But it came back to life. It persevered. It kept going. Now, that oak tree is alive. It's growing. I do not sit every day watching it grow because I don't see it grow. But it grows. I can see buds coming out on it again for the new season. If I were to say to someone 10 years ago who, when I planted the acorn, hey, come and see my oak tree, they would see the power that has been displayed in the life of this oak tree. They would see it because the change is dramatic. People who have come to faith 10 years ago, and maybe you see them every day, and you don't see the change in their life. And maybe back then you thought, well, this is a grumpy so-and-so or whatever, you know. This is a, a Christian, and all I know him to be is this way. But 10 years later, through the power of God alive and at work in their lives, and you see them again, and hopefully they're not grumpy. They shouldn't be as grumpy. Why? Because God has been at work in their lives. And maybe some of us need to think about that for a moment. Am I changing? Ask your wife. Think about it. This is the evidence of God at work in our lives. Have I changed over the last 10 years? You won't see it every day, but, but can you look back and see that God has been at work? God ministers his power, his almighty power, his resurrection power in that way. Slowly but surely, bit by bit, blemish by blemish over time. So that what began with power in every believer's life, he will complete. He will finish one day. But it will take a lifetime of feeding and caring, of coming to church, reading your Bible and listening to preaching and praying and 
repenting and trusting and all of these means of grace. These are the things that God uses to feed and to nourish and to change and the Holy Spirit to, to be at work in our lives. So however stubborn our remaining sin might seem to us tonight, remember God is able. He is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault. Well, very quickly, we finish with our third and final point this evening, and that is the, the ultimate reason for how God does what he is able to do. Verse 21, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. That is how Paul concludes his first half of the letter. He directs our praise and our glory to God because that is ultimately the reason why God does everything for his praise and glory. Yes, he has compassion on us. He, he saves us because he loves us and he cares for us. But ultimately, we are saved for his glory. Chapter 1, verse 6, he predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will to the praise of his glorious grace. We have been singing of that tonight. Chapter 1, verse 12, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. That is always God's primary intention in blessing us, that we would bring him praise. And so as we reflect on that tonight and around the table, as we reflect on all that we have in Christ, already all we're promised in Christ, uh, our lives ought to consciously be for the glory of our God. Let me close then quickly in three ways in which we bring glory to God. First of all, we bring glory to God personally in that each of us, God has called each of us to faith in Jesus Christ that we might be to the praise of of his glory. Every one of us, each one of us tonight who professes faith in Jesus Christ, God's power is at work in you to the glory of God. So each one of us, as we live out our faith, as we, as we live out the, the righteousness we believe that has been reckoned to us, as we live it out, we bring glory to our God in heaven. Secondly, we bring glory to God publicly as we gather together as a church. The church as a local expression of the body of Christ, but this local community of his people, as I said, we don't know when it was, but we, are, we show the manifold wisdom of God. This public expression of Christ's body is to his praise and glory. It's in us. When we come together, when we come out of our homes and we gather together like this, combined in a particular way, in a special way, we bring honor to God. And Do you see there how Paul links God's glory in the church to his glory in Christ Jesus? He links the two together. In other words, glory in the head as well as in the body. Glory in the bridegroom as well as in his bride. 
glory in the one who makes peace as well in those who now have peace. This is our union, you see, with our Savior. We would have presumed that God would be given glory in it only in His Son, Jesus Christ. We would presume that. It's only in Him. Surely it can't be in us. And yet Paul tells us that it's through the church, the church for whom Christ died, that there is also this public glory that we can give to God. Personally, publicly, and thirdly, finally, perpetually. To God be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. This is our generation now. We look back at church history as we do every once a month. We look back at what happened in that generation that maybe didn't bring glory to God. But this is our time, friends. This is the generation in which we serve, in which we are to bring glory to our God. To God be glory throughout all generations forever and ever. In other words, for all eternity. That is what we will be doing then. What we do now is a foretaste of what we do then. That's why these gatherings are so important. They are a foretaste, an appetizer for the, what comes one day. This is important. It's, it's a sight of heaven. That's why it's significant that we do this, that we keep doing this coming together to, to worship God, to praise Him loudly, joyfully, because that's what we're going to do one day. So may God help us do that. Help us pray such an apostolic prayer because of the God to whom we pray. He is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. Well, let's pray now, shall we? Father, we thank you for reminding us of your glory tonight. Thank you, Lord, for this incentive to embrace what we have been looking at over these last few weeks, to take hold of the things that Paul prayed for and to incorporate them in our own prayers. And to remember, Lord, that we don't come to one who is possibly able, but one who is surely able. So encourage us in that, Lord. Please lead us in our prayer life. Revive our prayer life, O Lord. And may we see you answer our prayers. May we see your power displayed that we might praise you and give you all the glory and all the honor we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.